Hi parents, are you feeling unfulfilled by parenthood? Convinced you're doing it all wrong? Experiencing a sense of shame and confusion despite trying every positive and gentle parenting strategy out there only to find that they backfire with your child and you just want things to get better? If so, you've come to the right place. My name is Bevan Walters. I'm a certified parent coach and educator with more than 25 years of experience. I specialize in supporting parents of complex kids, and I do so through my unique 3D parent model, a simplified approach to parenting complex kids. I believe that every parent has the capacity to become the parenting expert of their own children. I'll show you the way. Welcome to a journey of empowered parenting on the 3D Parent Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. This is episode number 88, Parenting with Dignity in Discipline, Part 1. This is the first of two episodes where I'm going to be tackling the fourth part of the 3D Parent Model, Parenting with Dignity, Direction, and Deep Connection. There's four parts because, of course, there's that one P, the parent, and then the three Ds that I talk about as part of my model. I want to emphasize the interconnectedness of all of these 3D Parent Bootcamp episodes and encourage you to listen to all of them and listen to all of them in order. I know there can be a temptation for parents to want to kind of just skip over those other episodes and just go right for the ones about discipline. But it's really important that you listen to all of them so that they fit together and make sense. So I'm talking about starting with episode number 84, the kickoff to the 3D Parent Bootcamp. Number 85, becoming grounded as a 3D parent. Number 86, parenting with direction. And number 87, parenting with deep connection. It's really important to listen to all of those previous episodes so that you have a comprehensive understanding of the 3D parent approach. Like I said, I have taught this material before, and I have taught it in a course format, and I'm familiar with parents who just kind of want to speed past or skip over or fast forward through those other topics because they really, really want to know the answer to, what do I do when my kid does blank? They want me just to give them a solution, a tool, a trick, a hack, and I really want to discourage you from thinking about discipline as this solution, this fix-all. It all has to do with everything else. This is just kind of the culmination where everything really comes together. But again, if you're focusing on what do I do when my kid does blank, as I've already covered, you're probably focusing on control, coercion, tricks, and hacks. And it will lead you to feeling stuck and frustrated and your child as well. So again, please listen to all the previous episodes before diving into this one. So this is where I'm going to be focusing on the D, the third D in the model, which is Parenting with Dignity in Discipline. And it is part one of a two-part exploration of the topic of discipline. My focus and my intention is to provide everyone with a simplified approach which can be applicable to all children, but especially if you have a challenging, more complex child where, oh my gosh, all those other discipline techniques that you are trying seem to be 
backfiring. It might be because you're using strategies that are just not great fits for a more complex child. So I want to start off first just by talking about the word discipline. A lot of times in our modern day use of the word, we misuse it and we've kind of co-opted it to mean equivalent to punish. Sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, that kid just needs more discipline. What they oftentimes are doing is using an euphemism for the word punishment. Oh, that kid just needs more punishment. First of all, what an awful thing to say. (laughs) Second of all, misuse of the word. When you're talking about where the word discipline comes from, it comes from the Latin root, which is disciple or a follower of. And so discipline is really about leadership. It is changing that notion that discipline is about punishment and instead focusing on the original meaning tied to the root word. And it is to lead, to guide, to teach, impart knowledge and create order. It is really, really important to keep that in mind when we're talking about discipline, because then you'll start to recognize and become a bit more critical when you think about things that we're calling discipline, which are really more means for control of kids. And again, we're trying to embrace a focus on leading versus controlling. So I'm going to dive in now to a bit of a critical examination of traditional, popular, or common discipline approaches that you may have used or are aware of. There are several really common discipline methods that I'm going to bring to light. In short, they are alarm-based methods, separation-based methods, emotional manipulation-based methods, consequence-based methods, some positive and gentle discipline practices. I'm going to kind of share my take on why they may be problematic for you and your child helicopter or lawnmower parenting. And I will kind of talk about what I mean about each of those piece by piece. These are discipline practices that in a lot of cases, in many cases, I'm going to discourage you from using. So I'm going to talk about each of them and explain the possible pitfalls or risks of employing them in your parenting. The first is alarm-based methods. So these would be methods that are meant to control the child through fear or sometimes pain. Examples of this might be yelling, spanking, threatening, or feigned abandonment. So yelling and spanking kind of speak for themselves. Threatening, that might be threats of punishment that you don't necessarily intend to carry out, but they're just threats meaning to kind of like make a child become more alarmed. Feigned abandonment, the frequently employed at your local park strategy of saying, hey, if you're not going to come with me, I'm just going to leave you here. It seems to work in the moment, but you have to stop for a minute and pause and wonder why. It's because it's caused extreme anxiety and alarm in your child, this fear that they're going to actually be abandoned and left behind. This is really problematic to be using any of these strategies, the, the yelling, the spanking, the threatening, the feigned abandonment, because really it just breaks down trust between you and your child. It also lacks the use of like dignity. I'm going to get into that a bit more later on in this episode, but it lacks dignity of the person, the child that you are talking to. It does not respect them and their own 
body or their own trust of you. So it's kind of using that against them. Another real problematic outcome stemming from using any of these strategies is that if they're used a lot, a child may become desensitized. Sometimes I'll have parents I work with in my coaching practice who say, gosh, yelling doesn't even work anymore. My kid doesn't even hear me when I'm yelling. I have to get really scary and threaten them or grab them for them even to notice. So what you're seeing there is desensitization. A child who's kind of heard the yelling and the threat so often that it kind of, they've learned to numb themselves from it having an impact on them. That is a problem for so many reasons. But one I want to really highlight here is the potential risk in emergency situations. There is a time and a place for yelling, but it should be reserved for emergency situations. Your child is about to walk across the street without looking and you see a car coming, you yell. Absolutely. That is what you reserve that for. There is a fire and you need your child to know there's a fire so they can get to safety. If you've been using yelling as a means of control or discipline, your child is numbing themselves, not really hearing it anymore. When you actually need them to hear a yell or a heightened voice, they're going to be desensitized. They're not going to even react to it the way that you expect them to. When I have lost it on occasion with my child, because I'm human and I sometimes do, and my child gets very, very upset by it, in, I, of course I feel bad, but inside it's a good reminder, okay, okay, it's good to know that yelling was really upsetting to my child because they had a really upset response to it. If I feel like I've been going through a period of time where I've just been really short-tempered, there's something going on for me and I've been yelling and, and my voice has been raised quite a lot and my kids kind of seem desensitized. Ooh, that's a, communicating something, something that I need to take a look at and address for myself. Maybe there's something going on that I need to do to take care of myself so I can stay more regulated and stop the yelling. I talked about that quite a bit on the episode talking about grounding yourself as a parent, but I might need to take a look at some of those strategies if I'm finding myself yelling a lot, kind of by a default discipline technique. The next method that I wanted to talk about and tease apart are separation-based methods. Some examples of that would be forms of timeout, being sent to the room, social isolation, or even pretending that you don't see a child who's in a space. They're throwing a tantrum and you pretend that you don't see them. That's also a form of separation-based methods of discipline. These are the ones that I used just so much in my early years of parenting. I was honestly told to do so by my firstborn's doctor, her pediatrician, and he didn't even give it a cute name like time out. He called it uh, social isolation. He called it what it was. And he said, oh, I think the best thing to do when she is being difficult is to isolate her, to put her in a room and hold the door until a specified amount of time has gone by. The rule of thumb that I was taught was uh, the number of minutes that equate to how many years old she is. I did this a lot because again, as I've talked about in previous episodes, I had a very strong-willed, super spicy little one and I didn't want to spank and I didn't want to yell and I didn't know what else to do. So when the doctor said use timeouts, oh my gosh, did I use timeouts? I really, really regret that because what I didn't realize what I was doing was I was sending a message to my child that 
access to me and access to a relationship with me was conditional upon her particular behaviors. I also didn't realize this, but I was having a big impact on our relationship, our connection, our attachment. I was making my daughter more insecure because I was not always available. I was kind of using my relationship as this thing that can be given or taken away, something I really, really regret because I realized how it really stunted my daughter's um, development. When she was left alone in social isolation, she was really overwhelmed by her really big feelings. And I wasn't there to help support, make sense of them, or just be a calming presence. I missed the opportunity to co-regulate with her. And also it really caused a lot of damage to our relationship. She had a hard time following my lead and I don't blame her. I wasn't giving her a lot of reason to trust that I wouldn't be using my relationship with her against me, against her when she was doing something, you know, testing the limits in some way. And so therefore she didn't feel very secure or safe in relationship with me because again, it could be taken or given depending upon what I decided based on her behaviors. A child for whom separation-based methods are used a lot, it's you're going to find a child who is in almost relentless, constant pursuit of proximity. They're going to be seeking attention, seeking attachment, seeking significance all the time. And eventually they give up. And then they seek that sense of connection elsewhere, most commonly through screens, devices, or their peers. All of those things are cause for concern and a reason to avoid using separation-based methods as a form of discipline. The next group of methods I'm going to talk about here are those that I'm defining as emotional manipulation-based methods. So some examples of this would be shaming, guilting, or public humiliation of a child. They're meant to cause emotional pain in a child, thinking that if a child feels enough emotional pain, they'll learn a lesson and won't do repeat the same problematic behaviors. The reality here is that kids do not learn and do not do better when they're made to feel worse. That is one of those things that I wish we just holistically as a society could embrace, that knowledge that a child who is struggling is already not feeling good inside. They need understanding. They need somebody who can attune to what is going on with them to meet those needs or provide the guidance necessary not to have somebody make the child who's already not feeling good inside feel worse. Using these emotional manipulation methods can cause an impact to a child's development of a positive sense of self their emotional well-being, and it can really damage the relationship between parent and child. The next group I want to talk about is consequence-based methods. Again, these are really, really common in society. They're based upon the work of B.F. Skinner. I talked about that in a previous episode or several previous episodes from my last season as well. But these are think about rewards and punishments and the experiments that Skinner did on rats. So consequence-based methods are meant to coerce behaviors you want to see through the use of either positive or negative reinforcements, also known as punishments or consequences. A lot of times we call things consequences, 
when in reality they are imposed consequences, which is just another nicer way of saying a punishment. I'm going to talk at another time about when to use natural consequences. Natural consequences certainly have a time and place, and I'll talk about that a little bit later on in this episode when I'm talking about the strategies that I do endorse and that are part of dignity and discipline and the strategies that I am going to be talking about a little bit later. So in short, the consequence-based methods, they're very popular because they seem to work, but really only in the short term and really only as like a band-aid. They don't really ever get to the root of the issue of what's really going on. And there are long-term drawbacks, most especially a child who's really conditioned to only do what is asked when they're going to get some type of a threat or reward, learn to not ever respond unless they're getting that. So you end up in this vicious cycle and eventually you're left with nothing that the kid cares about. They learn to stop caring about the things that can be used against them, similar to the earlier example I gave about using the separation-based methods where a child kind of numbs themselves from really relying on the relationship and trusting the relationship with their child between the parent and the child. Similarly, a child kind of stops caring about things that can be used against them. And what I find is that when parents have been using these consequence-based methods a lot, they come to me and they're like, my kid doesn't care about anything anymore except for screen time. And they've gone through all the other consequences. Or they try some rewards and they work short-term. They've done the sticker charts. They've done the little short-term rewards and the kid doesn't care anymore. And so they start trying to increase the award, make it better. And the parent's going broke because they're having to buy toys constantly to try and get the child to do what they want them or need them to do. It's really, really going to backfire in the long-term. So I really encourage you to set these strategies aside. One of the biggest reasons why is when you're using the power of something other than your own authority as the parent to try and control a child, you're really shining a spotlight on just how little control you have or influence, I should say, how much influence you have over your child. They recognize that you are powerless. And so they wait for you to use something that does have power, which typically is something the kid cares about. We don't want to be parenting our kids in this coercive strategy method any longer. It is not going to help them develop and reach their potential in life. Hey there, parents. If you're raising complex kids and navigating the unique challenges that come with it, I've got something special just for you. The 3D Parent Village, your go-to parenting membership community. The 3D Parent Village is not just a membership. It's a supportive community where you can connect with other families who understand the joys and struggles of raising similarly wired children. Hi, I'm Bevan Walters, the OG 3D parent and your guide in this parenting journey. Join me in the 3D Parent Village and let's tackle the challenges together. Inside the village, you'll find access to parent education, group coaching, and an ever-expanding resource library, all rooted in my unique 3D parent approach. We focus on parenting with dignity, direction, and deep connection. But wait, there's more! With your Village membership, you'll also get exclusive access to the 3D Parent On The Go program. Imagine having a direct line to your own trusted parenting coach right in your pocket. 
Well, that's what the 3D Parent On The Go program provides. Private, personalized, one-on-one parenting support with me through a convenient app. It's like having a parenting coach at your fingertips whenever you need it. So if you're ready to experience a decrease in isolation, frustration, and overwhelm, follow the link in the show notes to get all the details and sign up for the 3D Parent Village. They say it takes a village to raise a child. Never was that saying more true than when parenting a spicy, spirited, outside-the-box child. Come join us in the 3D Parent Village. We've saved a spot just for you. Next, I want to talk about some positive and gentle discipline practices that might backfire for you. There's a lot about positive discipline and gentle discipline practices that I like. I love the focus on relationships and emotion coaching and attachment, but I do find that oftentimes they can be misused, misinterpreted, or backfire, particularly if you have a real spicy, challenging child, usually because these practices can blur the lines of authority, giving kids the sense that they're on the same level as their parent, or perhaps even in like the lead. And the parent feels like, gosh, I feel like I'm constantly having to respond to my child's demands and give in all the time. So it's kind of a strategy that can lead to a child being more alpha than the parent. So I really want to encourage you to think about some of these practices that you're using and think about them critically and decide, are these techniques really working? Are they putting too much power in the hands of my child? Some specific techniques that I will mention are giving kids too many choices. There is a positive discipline technique where you give your child a choice between two things. That can work. And if it does and it's working for you and it's working for your child, great. But if you have a child like, I don't know, some of my kids or kids of the clients I work with, well, they learn real quickly that, oh, this is a game. Okay, so you give them two choices. I don't really like those choices. I want this instead. And then you're getting into this trap of negotiating with your child. So I want to encourage you to think about that strategy. If you're using it and feel like it doesn't work, maybe throw it out the window. Similarly, deferring to kids' wishes and demands, putting them in charge. What do you want to do today? Do you want to go to the park? Do you want to go to the movie? Do you want to have a play date? too much deferring to a child to kind of make decisions that can also backfire. And I don't, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a positive or gentle discipline practice, but something that I frequently see, but parents who've been using that generalized philosophy tend to be deferring to kids' wishes or putting them in charge a lot without necessarily meaning to. Another strategy very popular in positive discipline is the use of family meetings. These can be great. And if you use family meetings and they work for you and your family, be my guest. Go ahead and use them. Again, when you have these more complex children in your family, the family meetings tend to be very, very high stress events. They tend to be really about power and control and can backfire really quickly. So maybe consider not using them. (laughs) They may be making life more complicated than the benefit they could potentially provide you and your family. The next, I wouldn't call it a strategy, but I would say it's kind of a label, helicopter or lawnmower parenting. If you haven't heard that phrase, lawnmower parenting, it's really talking about a parent who 
just kind of goes about life trying to clear away any potential frustrations for their child, any potential consequences of their behaviors or things that might upset them. And they try to clear the path. They steer the child around any of these potential frustrations. This really can hinder the development of a child's ability to be adaptive and resilient. Kids need to be encountering frustration their whole life and learn how to navigate things that frustrate them and that it's survivable if we are over accommodating our child who has maybe a lower frustration tolerance, we are being the lawnmower parent and not doing a great service to our child in terms of their development. Take a deep breath. I want to pause for a minute here. I know what it feels like to be in your shoes. And I might have just named absolutely every strategy that you currently use. And I've said, okay, now don't use these anymore. And you may right now feel really uncomfortable. I want to acknowledge that probably the cause of that discomfort is that I've just removed what was giving you a sense of control. Remember, control was never the intended goal of discipline. And if you've been approaching discipline thinking that it's all about control, and I just named all the things that made you feel a sense of control, of course, you're going to feel uncomfortable right now. Instead, I want you to be embracing this idea that discipline is truly about leadership, teaching, guiding, and creating order. That's the purpose of discipline. So if you're feeling really out of control right now, good, because control is not the goal. And like I said, I remember feeling the same way myself when I was going about making some huge changes and adjustments in my own parenting. And I remember because I was using a lot of those techniques myself or those default things that I did because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know the alternatives. And the thing was, the more I searched for answers, the more confused I got because all of those tools and techniques are complicated. And remembering which one to use in certain situations is really hard to do and leads to further frustration. It doesn't become intuitive when you're having to sit there and think about, okay, what's that tool? What's that technique? Am I using it right? It's not going to work in the long term. So let's cut out all of those techniques which are causing more confusion, more frustration, and embrace the more simplified approach, which I call discipline with dignity or dignity and discipline. Either way works for me. So an introduction to this alternative approach. I've already talked about discipline and brought attention to the definition that I like to use when thinking about discipline. But why do I use dignity when talking about discipline? Well, dignity can be defined as a state of being worthy of honor and respect. So if you think about the traditional or default or common discipline methods that I just talked about, you start to recognize that a lot of those are based in this kind of old school traditional thought that, you know, kids need to honor and respect those who are in charge, the adults, even when they don't behave in a way that is worthy of honor and respect. And I really want to challenge that idea. I do not agree that respect is not earned. It very much is earned. And so we as parents, as the leaders, as the nurturing alphas need to be 
conducting ourselves in a manner which is worthy of honor and respect. No, it's not just because you're older and not just because you have a title of teacher or parent or grandparent. We need to actually live up to our intentions of being dignified and worthy of respect. That is the way in which we should be showing up when it comes to discipline. Because think about it, there's absolutely nothing dignified or respectful about overpowering or scaring a child. There's nothing dignified about shaming a child, guilting a child, or hurting a child, either emotionally or physically. There's nothing dignified about that. Coercing a child. There's nothing dignified about that. Nor is there anything dignified in a parent who's allowing their child to order them around. Or parents who feel like they are servants to their child's demands. There's nothing dignified about that either. So dignity and discipline is about leading, guiding, and teaching children in a manner worthy of honor and respect. Now, here's the thing. I keep on promising you simplicity, and that is what I am going to deliver here. There are just two essential tools necessary to be able to have discipline with dignity. And the two essential tools are tool one, your deeply connected relationship with your child, and tool two, your authority as the clear leader or alpha of your family. Just those two tools. Now, of course, I'm going to give you some more practical ways in which to tap into those two tools. But if you knew, gosh, if I just really work on my relationship with my child, and if I really embrace my role as the nurturing alpha, I already am doing this thing called discipline. You feel really empowered in that position. So I really want you to buy into this concept of these two essential tools necessary. The only tool that you, two that you need to have working for you to be able to have dignity in discipline with your children. Now, quickly, I want to review the three questions that I talked about in the episode on parenting with direction. The three, I'm going to call them the three scan the situation questions. And those were when there is a problem going on that you're noticing, but you're doing this quick internal scan. Is it me? Is it my kid? Or is it us? So scan the situation is what helps orient you to find your sense of direction as to what is needed and will lead you to knowing what to do when blank happens. Remember when parents start off with, what do I do when my kid does blank? They need to start first with, why is this happening in the first place? And that comes from the three scan the situation questions. So is it me? Remember back to that episode on grounding yourself as the 3D parent. Is it me? If the answer is yes, there's something going on to me. I have some needs that I need to meet within myself. Then you need to meet those needs. Simply put, there may be nothing going on for your kid that's a problem at all. It's you that needs to do something to be able to deal with the situation at hand. Number two, if it's the issue is something having to do with your kid, either something that is causing them to be stuck in development or they have some underlying need driving problematic behavior, well, you need to meet the need. 
More on that in the next episode, episode number 89 of Parenting with Dignity and Discipline, part two. And then the third question, is it us? That really refers to what I covered in the last episode, Parenting with Deep Connection. Is it us? Meaning, is there an issue having to do with my relationship with my child? If the answer to that is yes, then you know there's work to do on the relationship. It may be holistic work that needs to happen. Maybe right now there is just this disconnect or this sense of insecurity in the relationship with your child. And I talked about some strategies that can really help with that. Things like special time, trumping the needs, and then focusing on taking the lead in nurturing and strengthening the parent-child attachment at each of those six stages of Dr. Newfelds that I highlighted in the last episode. But there also can be something going on in the relationship just in the given moment that might be the reason why there's some type of a problem or a power struggle that might happen if you don't recognize that there is something going on in the relationship in that moment. And there is within every child, this instinct they have built into them to follow, listen, take direction and orient to you, the parent or the one who's in charge. That's inside. But if it's not there in a given moment, oh, you might need to employ a proactive discipline strategy. And that is where I'm going to pick up in the next episode, episode number 89, Parenting with Discipline and Dignity, part two. I'll see you there. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope our conversation has inspired your journey towards building deeper connections with your children and strengthened your resolve to match your parenting intentions with your words and actions. If today's insights resonated with you, the greatest thank you I could receive would be for you to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and share my podcast with others. And for those of you seeking more support with your parenting, consider joining the 3D Parent Village, a nurturing membership community designed for families raising complex kids like yours. Inside the village, connect with like-minded parents, find relief from isolation and overwhelm, and gain access to educational resources, group coaching, and personalized support, all rooted in the transformative 3D parent approach. They say it takes a village to raise a child. Never was that sentiment more true than when parenting a complex child. So come join us at the 3D Parent Village. We've saved a spot for you.